Good morning, Central Church. How's everybody today? God, you look so good. Um, hey, if you have a Bible this morning, take it out. If you need a Bible, there's probably one in the seat back pocket in front of you or under the seat if you're up front. And turn with me, if you would, to the Gospel of John, chapter 15. Um, if you find the New Testament, you're really close. John's the fourth book, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We're going to jump in to chapter 15 in just a moment here in this series called The Life. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, thank you for your presence here. Thank you for your, your ministry among us. Uh, God, open our eyes and our hearts and our, our minds today to understand what you're saying in this passage of Scripture in John 15. And then, Lord, by your grace, help us to live it out. Help us to walk it out, God, in our lives this week. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, John chapter 15. We'll jump in there in just, just a second. Um, the, the fruit of genuine love. The fruit of genuine love is faithfulness, even when things get hard. Let me say it again. The fruit of genuine love is faithfulness, even when things get hard. How can I say that? Because that's what Scripture says. When, when the Apostle Paul wanted to define God's love, when he wanted to define perfect love, agape love, he said this in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. He said, love endures all things. Love never fails. Love endures all things. So everything that's of value to us in our life that we love, that love gets tested. At some point, your love for something important in your life is going to get tested. It, it happens in marriage all the time. As much as we love our spouse, as much as, you know, when we launched that new relationship however many years ago, over and over again there are times of crisis or whatever when it gets really difficult to love that person. We, we hurt each other, we, we sin against each other, and, and th this coming Sunday will be 40 years of marriage for, for my wife Shirlene and I, and you don't need to clap, I mean, it's all by God's grace, Whatever. But there's been multiple times when my wife, Shirlene, wanted to trade me in for a different model. If she could have, she would have. Uh, ladies, I get it. You, you thought you were marrying a Lexus and you got a Dodge. I get it, okay? But hang in there. Love endures all things. And the fruit of love is, is tremendous. Um, you, you know, we get, we get tested with our love for the church, the, 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 the church family. Uh, things happen in church that makes us want to leave. You know, we get offended, we get disappointed, we get hurt, and we want to we wanna leave the church. There's, there's uh, thousands, hundreds of thousands of people across our country that are no longer attending church because they were hurt in some way by someone, a pastor, or someone in the church. Um, COVID tested all of our love for one another, didn't it? I mean, we went through that, that season where people didn't like the decisions we were making about wearing masks. People didn't like the decisions we were making about not wearing masks. No matter what we did, there was frustrated people, and some left as a result of that. But most didn't because love endures all things. Many of you felt that the, your love for your church family was greater than the inconvenience, greater than the disappointment, greater than the disagreement with what was happening. But, but everything we love in life gets tested. Our, our love at some, some point gets tested. The, the, the sports teams that we love, our, our love for our sports teams gets tested, doesn't it? 
Some as early as May. Some of us cash in as early as May. We give up on the teams that we love. And then then when the spring rolls around, we're all in again. Hope springs eternal like somehow they're going to win. And they don't. But love, what? Endures all things, doesn't it? Yeah. So we are going to look in the Gospel of John because in John 15, it says that true love for Jesus is seen in a lifelong commitment. Love endures all things. True love for Jesus is seen in a lifelong commitment. And those who quit on God never really loved Him. Those who quit on God never knew His love. Those who who quit on God didn't really believe in Him. That's the reality of John chapter 15. So would you read with me this morning, beginning in, in chapter 15, verse 1, the context, let me give you a little context, chapters 13 to 17 in the Gospel of John take place within a few hours. It, it's at Jesus' last meal with the disciples before the cross. He's the next day going to go to the cross, and, he, and He's just having this last conversation with them over five chapters in John, just a few hours. In chapter 15, we don't know where they are. We knew where they were in chapter 13 and 14. They were sharing the Passover meal in a room together. But at the end of chapter 14, it says they left. And it doesn't tell us where they went. When we get to chapter 18, we find out they're in the Garden of Gethsemane. So so we know that they went there. But we don't know exactly where this is taking place. John chapter 15, verse 1 says, Jesus speaking, I am the true vine. Say true vine. Okay, what does that stir in your mind? True vine. The true vine. That means there's only one true vine. There's more than one vine, but there's only one true vine. Every other vine is a counterfeit vine. When Jesus says, I'm the true vine, He says, I'm the, I'm the only true source of spiritual life for humanity. The only one. I'm the true vine. There, there are counterfeit vines. There, there are things that, that people connect themselves to, to in, in, in life thinking that that's going to provide them life. That's going to give them meaning. That's going to give them joy. That's going to satisfy their needs. Maybe even that's going to get me to heaven. And yet Jesus says there's, there's only one true vine and I'm, I'm it. I am the true vine. Can, can I ask a question? What vine are you connected to right now? If it's not the true vine, what vine in your life are you, are you looking for to provide meaning, forgiveness, and an understanding of God? What, what vine are you connected to if it's not Jesus? He begins by saying, I, I'm the true vine. He goes on, and my father's the gardener. My father is taking care of the whole vineyard that I'm in. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. Then Jesus says this in verse 3, You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. You're already clean. The the, the word there, clean, means forgiven, saved, in a right relationship with me. Your, Your sin has been removed. You've been justified, which simply means God has declared that you're not guilty because of Christ. Jesus says to them, you've already been made clean by the word which I have spoken to you. In other words, the gospel, the message about who Jesus is. He told them, I'm the Son of God. He told them, I'm the Messiah. He told them, I'm the one who came. I'm the word. I'm the Logos. I am the perfect representation of the Father. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And they believed him. 
And because they believed Him, they were saved. Because they believed in who Jesus Christ was, they were saved. They were brought into a right relationship with God. Their sin was cleansed in their life, and they were were given eternal life. It's important that we understand that in verse 3, because any fruit-bearing, anything that we do that produces fruit in our lives is because we're already saved. We, We don't produce fruit or do things in order to be saved. We produce fruit because we are saved. Amen? Verse 4, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up And they gather them, and they cast them into the fire, and they are burned. Now, what is that a reference to? Unfruitful vines that are gathered up and bundled and then burned. It's a reference to hell. It's a reference to life apart from God. It's a reference to people that chose not to be connected to the true vine. They're not connected to the source of true spiritual life, so they don't have spiritual life. So they have no fruit of spiritual life. So the Lord removes them and gives them what they asked for. What did they ask for? They asked for a life independent from God. They wanted to live their own life. They didn't want to follow God's way. They wanted to follow their own way. And eventually God says, I'm going to give you what you want. Life without me forever. That's hell. Verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. What is God's plan for us once we are saved? That we would bear the fruit of Jesus Christ in our life. His life flowing into us and our lives then bearing the fruit of a relationship with Jesus. So he begins by saying, I'm the vine and you're the branch. What does that mean? Have you ever thought about that? What what is he talking about? I'm the vine and you're the branch. We're going to throw a picture up here to give you a visual of understanding what that is. That's the vine and that's a branch. Do you see the big, thick, brown vine running along that, that wooden support looking like a fence? That's the vine and the branch is what supports the fruit. The vine pours life into the branch and the branch produces fruit. This is your life if you're in Christ. And there are fruits that are born out of your life because of your close connection to the vine, to the life of God, the person of the Holy Spirit that now works in you. I am the vine and you are the branch. And there's only, Jesus says, two kinds of branches in this story. There's fruit-bearing branches and non-fruit-bearing branches. And it's a little misleading in the text when he says that every branch in me that doesn't bear fruit, that is taken away. That, that sounds like, you know, people are saved and they're connected to Jesus, but then they, they don't bear fruit, so he just rips them out of the vine and sends them to hell. That, that's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is talking about the appearance of connection to the vine. 
There's no fruit because they're not connected to the vine. That's the reality. But there's this appearance that the branch is connected to the vine. And in Jesus' day, that would have been the thousands of people that followed Christ in his earthly ministry with the disciples. So you've got the disciples following Jesus, and then you've got thousands of people that followed Jesus everywhere he went. Why? Because most of them liked the fact that he healed them. He would cast out demons. He would restore their lives. He would feed them. They loved his teaching. They they loved being around Jesus. He taught like no one else, and it was great. But they were part of the crowd, and they never really connected to Jesus. And when things got hard, they stopped following him. When he said something they didn't like, they they were no longer around. So there were people in Jesus' day that gave the appearance. They're they're with the crowd. They're following Jesus with the crowd. But Jesus knows their hearts, and they, they weren't connected. Those are the people that are taken away and removed. What would that be like in our day? Who, who would the people be that, that give the appearance of connection with Jesus, but they're really not connected? Well, well, there are a lot of people that suddenly have a spiritual interest or curiosity in God, and maybe they begin attending church, or maybe they go through a crisis, and because of that crisis, they're looking for some hope. They're looking for some comfort, and so they turn to the church in that hour. And some of those people may even get involved in the church. They may get involved in the food ministry. They, they like helping people. Or, or maybe they, they love babies, so they help in the nursery. They, they, they hold babies during the service. Or, or, or maybe they hand out bulletins, or, or in some way they're involved. And, and everyone looks around and goes, oh, they're, they're part of the church. But they're not connected to the vine. There's no spiritual life. But they're associated with people that do have life. And there's this appearance that, that because they're part of the other branches that are connected to the vine, that, that they're also connected to the vine. And friends, they may not be. And that's why at the end of every service that we do here, I give the opportunity, if you need to, to accept Jesus Christ, because there's people among us that may not have a personal relationship with Jesus. They, they give the appearance that they do because they're with us and among us, but they may not be connected to the vine. Are you? Two kinds of branches, Jesus says, fruit-bearing and non-fruit-bearing. Seven times in those seven verses that we read, Jesus uses the word abide. Abide in me. Abide in me. Abide in me. Seven times. Here's what the word abide means. It means continue in, remain in, stay in, participate in. There's There's a sense of continuance and perseverance in something. It's in the, in the Greek language, the present tense, which means the action is continuous. It could be read, abide and keep on abiding. Abide and don't stop abiding. Continue in your abiding in Christ. Can I just ask a question? What does that mean, that phrase, abide in Christ? If you had a friend, let's say you're a Christian, and you have a friend that doesn't know much about Christianity, but, but somehow they saw a wall plaque or something that said, I'm the vine, abide in the vine. And they said, what does that mean? Like Christianity, like Jesus is the vine. What does it mean to abide in the How would you answer that question? Like how do you do that? How do you actually stay, continue, remain in Jesus? What, what do you do 
in order to abide in the vine? Could you answer that question? Well, it's an important question. And so I want you to take 60 seconds. And I want you to turn to the person next to you or around you. And I want you to answer that question. If, if you were going to abide in Jesus, what would that look like? How would you do that? Go ahead, 60 seconds. I'm just going to get a drink here while you guys are coming up with all the answers. Abiding in Jesus. How do I abide in Jesus? What does that mean? Okay, I, I, I want you to help me out. What, what does that mean? What did you come up with? Just tell me. What? Live in? Li what does that mean? Live in Him. You and him. That doesn't make much sense to me. What, okay, explain. How do you, what does that mean to live in him? How do I do that? Okay, spiritually. How? Okay. I'm giving you a hard time, bro. It's a, huh? Communication. Meaning what? You talk to God? You talk to him? Listen to him? So it's two-way communication. So is that prayer? Okay, prayer. Prayer is a way that we could abide in the vine. What else? What? Focus? To Jesus. Like look at him? Communication? Focus? Okay. I'm with you. I'm with you. What else? His Word, the Bible. Okay, so something about being in the Bible, being in Scripture, could be abiding. What else? Relying. Relying. Meaning? Okay, good. So when you get in tough times, you, you keep relying on trusting Him, right? No one's going to say anything to you think I'm going to give them a hard time here, right? <laughs> what else? Serving him, being his hands and feet, you, you keep, you stay in him by doing that. What else? Ask him. Yeah, yeah, okay, so prayer, asking, good, good. What else? You're at the same time. Love others. So when you love other people, you're abiding in Jesus? Yes. Are you sure? You are sure, Okay. What else? Helping people in need. What else? Get the dust off Jesus' feet? Jesus is invisible. How do, how do I do that? <laughs> Boom! Right there! Yeah. Well, I've thought through that this week. Because I asked myself, you know what, I could just be a really, a really cool, sophisticated preacher and just say, yeah, abide in Jesus and let you figure it out. But I didn't know what it meant. 
So I had to go back in Scripture and say, what does it mean to stay, continue, to remain, to, to participate in Jesus? And I came up with four things. If you want to take these notes real quickly, I'll try to get through them in, in, in as least a boring way as I can and as quickly as I can. Number one, we need to continually participate in the Word of Jesus. So with every one of these, there's going to be a fruit that accompanies the commitment. When I say uh, the, the Word of Jesus, I'm talking about Scripture. And the fruit of abiding in the Word of Jesus is guidance. All of us want guidance from God. We want to know we're doing the will of God. We want to know we're doing the right thing. And so abiding in the Word gives us guidance. All right, Scripture. Let's go back to John chapter 8. Jesus said, so, so Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed in Him, if you continue in my what? Okay, see the word continue? Guess what word that is? Abide. Say, say, John loves this word, mano, in the Greek. It's the same word. If you abide, stay, continue, remain in my word, then you are truly my disciples, and you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you. You'll know the truth, the truth about God, the truth about you, the truth about life, if you abide and continue and stay in the word. So one of the ways we abide in Jesus is by abiding in his word. Another scripture. John 16, but, but when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth for he will not speak on his own, but whatever he hears, he will speak and will disclose to you what is to come. He will guide you. The Holy Spirit will guide you in truth. He'll help you understand truth like we talked about last week. He will help you and guide you in the scriptures. Now, what does it mean to abide in the word of Jesus? It means to read it. It means to study it. It means to meditate on it. It means to memorize it. It means to learn it. And when we do that, the Holy Spirit then guides us in the truth that we read in the Scriptures. So when, when we first got married, we lived in a home, my wife Charlene and I, in a house that my parents owned. They were a little bit of slumlords, I have to admit. It wasn't the greatest of houses, but it was cheap. And so we lived there, and they had a, a two-car garage with an old-school garage door, no remote garage door opener. It was a huge, heavy wooden door that you had to manually... Anybody remember those heavy wooden doors you had to... Live? Well, we, didn't, we never bothered with it. We parked outside. And so that, the garage, it became my prayer room and, and, and my study room. So I would go out into the garage, and I would pray. And I was memorizing, trying to memorize a lot of Scripture. I was trying to abide in the Word of Jesus. And I would get, get a, a permanent marker, and every Scripture I memorized, I would write the reference on the inside of the garage door. And it got to the point where, where it was just filled with Scripture verses that I had memorized. And I'd go out there to pray, and I would go through that sometimes one, one by one, every memory verse. That I would just quote it out loud. Sometimes I'd stop and pray over that. But I was committed to abiding in His Word so that the Holy Spirit could guide me through Scripture. So when I first got here, fast forward a few years, first year that, that I pastored this church, we didn't, we didn't grow numerically at all. I mean, I don't even know if we went back a little bit, but we definitely didn't grow numerically. I was frustrated by that. I'm like, come on, God, we're, we're trying to do a good thing for you. People ought to be reaching their, their oikos, and we should, we should be growing. I'll never forget, I was at the kitchen sink at my house, either, either washing dishes or cleaning something, doing something. And, and, and the, the Lord said, I was kind of whining to him about this, and he said, don't, don't worry about numbers. Clear as a bell, Holy Spirit, don't worry about numbers. He said, you worry about prayer and the ministry of the word, and I will take care of numbers. Okay. But, but why did the Holy Spirit speak that to me? Because that's a quote from Acts chapter 6, verse 4, 
when the apostles were in a situation where they had, they had to serve the, the Hebrew widows their, their daily ration of food, and they couldn't do that and preach and study and do all the things they needed to do. So they went to the church and they said, we're, we're going to devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the Word. So the Holy Spirit used that scripture that I had put in my heart to say, don't worry about numbers. I didn't call you to worry about numbers. You pray for the people of God. You pray for the members of the church. And you keep preaching the word of God. You keep sowing the seed of his word and watch what I do. And God's brought growth. He's responsible for the growth. God told me through the word that I hid in my heart by abiding in the word of Jesus, don't worry about numbers. You pray and you preach, and let me take care of the rest. So fast forward a, a few more years. The church is going well, and I'm asking God, hey, God, as we build this thing, as we build your church, what, what do the people really need to know if we're going to build this right? And the Lord said they, they need to know the Holy Spirit. They, they need to know about, about the Holy Spirit and who he is and his ministry. And the Lord took me back to another verse that I had memorized in Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6. It's the story of when the children of Israel were rebuilding the temple in Jerusalem, and the prophets were prophesying to the people, and they said, how are we going to do this? And the prophet said, it's not by might, it's not by power, but it's by my spirit, says the Lord. How are we going to build the temple? It's not by human strength. It's not by might, it's by the Spirit. So teach my people how to understand who the Holy Spirit is. So we went on a 40-week weekend service teaching in the book of Acts. That's almost a year. 40 weeks studying the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts. See, when you, when you abide in the Word of Jesus, He guides you through it. He, he gives you understanding. So can I just ask a question? Are you... Are you abiding in His Word regularly? Not only do we need to abide in, in, in the Word of Jesus, we need to abide in the blood of Jesus. And, and by the blood of Jesus, I mean confessing our sin to Him, confessing our sin to the Lord. And the fruit of abiding in the blood of Jesus is intimacy with God. Because you know what? Unconfessed sin in your life and unconfessed sin in my life ruins our intimacy with God. It, it, it affects, it clouds our relationship with God. Did you know that you can be saved and not right with God? You can be saved and not in a right relationship with God because you have not confessed your sin to Him. John chapter 6 says this, Jesus said, anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains. Guess what word that is? Abide. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains or abides in me and I in him. This isn't cannibalism. This is spiritually partaking by faith of the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. If you believe in me and you, and you, you receive the, the fruit of my blood, which is forgiveness, then we are remaining in him. Part of abiding in Jesus is abiding in his blood, abiding in his forgiveness. Let's go on. 1 John chapter 2, if we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. See, sin creates a barrier between people in relationship 
And sin creates a barrier between you and God if that sin isn't dealt with, if that sin isn't acknowledged and confessed. He said if you confess your sins, God's faithful to forgive your sin and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness, to, to give you a restored relationship with God. Okay, so in John chapter 13, when Jesus was washing the disciples' feet, Jesus comes to Peter, wants to wash his feet. Peter says, no, 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 Lord, I'm not going to let you wash my feet. And Jesus said to Peter, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part in me. So, so Peter responds by saying this. He exclaimed, then wash my hands and my head as well, Lord, not just my feet. Give me a bath so that I can be fully cleansed if that's what you're saying. And Jesus said to him, a person who has bathed all over does not need to wash again except for his feet in order to be entirely clean. And Jesus is saying to Peter, you've been forgiven by my grace. You've accepted me. You're, you're clean. It's like you've, you've taken a bath, but you still walk through the world. You still walk through the dust and the dirt of humanity. And so when you walk through the world, you make mistakes and you sin. And so on your feet, there's the marks of worldliness. And Jesus said, if you're going to come into my house, if you're going to come into my presence, you need to clean your feet. You need your feet to be clean. You're already saved, but you're not in a right relationship. So I'm going I'm to clean your feet so I can fully welcome you into my presence. See, this, this principle is the same in marriage. So you can be legally married and have no intimacy with your spouse. So when I, when I sin against my wife, when I hurt my wife and I sin against her, she can just shut down. And whatever, whether it was trust betrayed or whatever, it radically affects our relationship. And until we sit down and I say, "Hun, I, I am so sorry. I'm sorry that I did that. Would you forgive me? And she says, yes, I forgive you. And that sin is washed away and we can again have a, an intimate connection relationally. Until we do that, we're still married. We've still got a piece of paper that says we're married, but, but we're not where we should be. Our, our intimacy isn't there anymore until there's forgiveness and the ability to have that restored. And it's the same with God. Saved people cannot be in a right relationship with God through sin. So let me ask, are you daily abiding in the blood of Jesus? Is His blood washing your sin, washing your feet so that you can come into His presence with confidence and know there's nothing between me and the Lord? We can have an intimate conversation because I'm not hiding anything or I haven't injured our relationship by my sin without forgiveness. Not only do, do we need to abide in the word of Jesus, excuse me, and the blood of Jesus, but we need to abide in the body of Jesus. That's the church. We need to continually participate in the body of Jesus, which is the church. And the fruit of abiding in the body of Jesus is maturity. The fruit of continuing in the church is maturity. The, the, the church, did you know that the, God calls the church a family? The, the church, if you're a Christian, is your spiritual family. What happens in family? What, what are some of the fruits that come out of a person that's been involved in a healthy family? Well, when you're in a family, you begin to grow in character. You, you begin to understand your identity. Uh, hopefully, as you participate in the family and you have chores and responsibilities, you become a more responsible person. Hopefully, you learn how to serve other people in your family. Hopefully, you, you learn in a family that you are not the center of the universe, that there are other people in the world that you need to be care, care about and be attentive to, that, that it's not just about you. You grow and you mature as a result of family.
That's God's plan. And so Paul says this in, in Ephesians chapter 3. He says, now these are the gifts of Christ, the gifts that Christ gave to the church, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, leaders. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do His work and for them to build up the church, the body of Christ. Who is to build up the church? The leaders or the people in the church? Shout it out. The people in the church. My responsibility, the leaders of the church, we are to equip you, to help you, excuse me, to teach you how to do ministry, how to serve one another, how to care for one another, how to, how to teach one another, how to, how to lead one another. That's our responsibility. But you guys... You're the ones that build up the church. Here we go. He keeps going. This will continue, this, this building up of the church, until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be what? Mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Maturity comes when you are part of a church family where you are growing in relationship. There's accountability. You're being taught. You're learning. You're growing. You're serving and you become a mature follower of Christ. John says it a little bit differently in John chapter, uh, 1 John, I'm sorry. He says, these people left our churches, but they never really belonged to us. Now, now listen to what he's saying. People, all of a sudden, were no longer in church, but they never really belonged to us. Otherwise, they would have stayed. See that word stayed? What word do you think it is? Abide. If they don't abide in, in the, the big C church, the church of, of Jesus, the body of Jesus, John says in his day, they, did, they weren't part of us. They didn't know Christ. Now, John is not saying that you, you never switch local churches. That, that's not what he's saying. He's talking about people that were part of a local church, and then all of a sudden they just didn't even hang out in the church anymore and they just lived their own life and there was no fruit of them following Jesus anymore. There are legitimate reasons to change local churches. He's saying don't drop out of the church, the body of Jesus. Even if you switch churches, stay connected to the body. So let me ask you a question. If God's plan for you to mature in Jesus was the church, if God's plan for you to grow up was abiding, continuing, and staying in a local church, then what do you think Satan is trying to do in your life? Get you out of church. Get y'all hurt. Get y'all worked up. Get y'all disappointed and frustrated by the pastor. I walked in, the pastor didn't even say hi to me. Like he greeted everyone. But he looked at me, and then he looked away. What's up? What's the deal? And this is, this is the second time he did that. And his wife... She's, she's worse. She's like, she's like really mean to me, right? And, 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 and you know, they, they didn't do what I wanted. They, Satan is trying to get you separate from the church. He wants you to believe that, that you can be a Lone Ranger Christian, you can be separate from the church, and somehow miraculously grow in Jesus. And you can't. You can't. I'm, I'm telling you, God's plan is the church. It's the family of God. You work through your difficulties. You work through your offenses. You work through the challenges in your life so that you can stay a part of God's plan to grow you up. You will stay immature if every time you're offended by a church, you leave the church, try to find another. You know what? The problem's you, not the church. 
That's why someone told me when I was, was really young, if you find the perfect church, don't go there because you'll screw it up. <laughs> You're the problem. And we have to work through those problems. We have to be accountable to people. We have to be teachable. We have to be humble. That's how we grow together in the body of Christ. So we have an amazing ministry for men, a discipleship ministry for men here. It's called Disciples Made. And there's two different courses. One is Followers Made and one is Leaders Made. And, And there are men that have gone through those courses and it's absolutely revolutionized their life, changed them, changed them as husbands, changed them as fathers, but more importantly, changed them as men of God. I had a good friend a few weeks ago come up to me and say, Jeff, remember when you said, how many of you read the Bible during the week and not just on Sunday? Um, I'm the guy that never read the Bible. Like, I only opened my Bible on Sunday during church. That, that was the only time I read it. So I took this Disciples Made course. He said, I'm reading the Bible now every day. I'm not only reading the Bible, but I'm journaling and writing down questions. And then I get together once a week with these men, and we, we talk about what the text means. We interact with that text together, and we pray for one another. Someone has a need, they send out a group text, and we all pray for that need. There's these men coming together, learning how to abide in the Word of Jesus and learning how to grow in the body of Jesus. And he just told me the other day, he said, he said not only has this been a life-changing course, but when we start up new groups, I want to lead one. Come on, somebody. I want to lead one. I've grown to a point of maturity where I want to share what I've learned with other people. That's maturity in the body of Christ. You can't grow apart from community together. We have have a women's mentoring ministry. It's called Woven. Many of you women have been a part of that. The older ladies, experienced ladies, hopefully encourage and guide the younger ladies in, in the things of the Lord. And, and there was a testimony that my wife shared with me that I want to put up on the screen here anonymously. But this woman said, as a young woman, I was blessed by the mentors, their knowledge of God's Word and their wisdom that comes from life experience. This group helped me grow in my faith and into a deeper relationship with the Lord. It doesn't happen outside of community. And the devil will deceive you into thinking you can just not be involved in church, not serve, not participate, and somehow grow. And yet John says we are to remain, abide, continue in the body of Jesus, which is his church. The last thing that that we need to do is is we need to abide in the mission of Jesus. The mission of Jesus. Are we like overtime? What the heck just happened? (laughs) My wife cringes when I say, what the heck? So I'm sorry. If that's offensive, don't leave the church. Okay, stay connected <laughs> to the body of Jesus. All right, well, we are, we are done, and we have children's workers that need, to, that need to figure this out. So abide in the mission of Jesus, which is your oikos, and the fruit of that is prayer. Because if you really understand the mission of Jesus, which is saving people from hell, you will become a prayer warrior in your life. You'll pray, for, you'll pray for your children. The thought of your child going to hell, that's unthinkable. So thank you for your patience. Sorry that I went a little bit over today. Would you stand with me and, and pray as we close? Are you clapping because we're, I'm finished preaching? Wow. My, uh, 
My self-esteem just went down the tubes right there. Thank you, Lord. We're finished with this guy. Yeah. God, we come before you today. We're grateful for the fact that you want to rescue us from an eternity of suffering. You've, you've given us a way. You've made the vine available that we might connect to it and have life. Father, this week, would you help us, those of us that know you, would you help us to abide in Jesus, help us to abide in the Word, help us to abide in the blood, help us to abide in the body, and to abide in the mission of Jesus. In Christ's name, amen. God bless you guys. Have a great, great day.